Well, last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, and um, I shared about the history of Pentecost. I hope some of you found that interesting and enlightening and didn't realize all of that was in the Old Testament. You know, as a preacher, I I struggle to, with this tension of uh, keeping everyone in the room happy, (laughs) entertaining you enough that you won't fall asleep, you know, that, that you'll come away with something that's profitable, you know, and, and I'm, when I was writing even that message last week, I was struggling as I was working through the history, and I'm like, I, w- I feel like the Lord wants to, to, to bring this forward, but I was like, but they'll get bored, God, and they'll fall asleep, and, you know, but God reminded me that he said, I put this in the book, these are my words. It's not your responsibility to keep bored Christians happy. That's right. That's right. And I went, whoop, we'll go there then. <laughs> I will preach the entire word of God and bring it to us. And if you're bored, well, that's your fault. I'm going to do everything in my power not to bore you with the Bible. But if there's not something on, on the inside of you that says, I love what's in this book from beginning to end, there's something we got to get to the Lord on. So I talked about the history of Pentecost. We talked about, you know, that word Pentecost came from a Greek word, right? Pentecoste, which just means 50th or 50 days. And there was the simple term, you know, that they used to denote this day that had all these names, day of, you know, because uh, we it was called several things in the Old Testament. It was called the Feast of Weeks, right, or Shavuot. It was called the Feast of Harvest. It was called the Day of First Fruits. It had all these things, you know, and I, I think they probably got, oy vey, we'll just call it Pentecost, you know. <laughs> so many names on this one day, we've got to call it, we'll just call it 50 days after Passover. And so it had all those different names in the Old Testament, and it marked, again, it marked the end of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. But the big idea that I wanted us to have was that God uses these sacred rhythms and these sacred routines like an annual pilgrimage to uh, Jerusalem for Pentecost. God uses those sacred routines like going all the way back to Jerusalem for this feast to get us to the right place at the right time. We have divine appointments, breakthrough moments, encounters with the Lord. And God asks us to practice holy habits in order to get us to where our breakthroughs are, our miracles are, our encounters. You know, and I talked about, I said, Jesus told us, he told the disciples, he said, it's not for us to know the times or seasons of the Father. It's not information we get to have. Man, if we all knew the day Jesus was coming back, well, we would be terrible. You'd all be living like heathens and like, all right, it's 11.30 p.m. He's coming at midnight. All right, Jesus, we love you. We worship you. You're my God, my Savior. That's why. We got to live ready. We've got to keep showing up, keep going to where God tells us to go. And so I talked about that God has got these, the Father has these appointed moments for us, and sacred rhythms and routines are what get us there. 
And then my last point on Sunday was sometimes those times and seasons are for generations after us. The rhythms of your life, the prayer, the worship, the doing communion as a family, going on mission trips once a year, all of those things are part of rhythms and routines that sometimes God has us established today and we never get the payoff because it's for someone else, generations, to finally show up on that day. Many times God asks us to give ourselves to sacred routines so that the future generations will meet their divine destiny moments. And I hope you asked yourself the question that I posed to us last Sunday. I, I hope you, you asked that question. You're giving yourself some new opportunities that you, you're looking at your life and asking the Lord, what are some, some sacred holy habits that I've let off on, God? that I need to pick up again, that I need to make important again? What are some holy habits, some new ones? I hope you did that. Well, today, I want to keep talking about Pentecost some more, but I want to specifically, I want to look at the promise of the Holy Spirit. I want to look at, specifically, as we look at the Holy Spirit, I want to look at the what and the why of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I realize that there is an overwhelming amount of things that we could say about the Holy Spirit. All of it good, all of it very important. But today I want to look at the promise of, of the Holy Spirit through the words of just Jesus. I want to look at the promise of the Holy Spirit as spoken through only through the words of Christ. The promise of the comforter, the helper, the teacher, the advocate is a promise that is, was made to the disciples and by extension made to us as well. And I believe that since this, this gift came to us through the words of Jesus, we probably should understand what Jesus said. Words of Christ, people in here? Yep, yep. <laughs> the guy who saved your soul, Amen. that guy. Maybe what he had to say we should really drill down on, you know, because sometimes we got a lot of voices that we listen to and they don't always line up with what the guy said. We get a little sideways sometimes in our beliefs, in our behaviors, in our practices because we got way far away from all the red parts of the Bible. Well, I want to look at what Jesus said. I want to look at the gift and the promise of the Holy Spirit through what he said. And the big question that I want to answer today, what did Jesus say the Holy Spirit would do when he came? And part of the answer to that question is when the Holy Spirit comes, he will address a very specific problem that the disciples will have when Jesus leaves him. Now again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drill down on just individual points. So 
I'm not talking about everything. I said that. There's so much to be said about the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to talk about how Jesus addressed a very specific problem that the disciples would have. And it's a problem that many of us deal with as well. So to start with, I want to read through, I'm going to just read through all of the passages where Jesus is speaking about this promise of the Holy Spirit, okay? And it starts in John 14. Now, this isn't the first time he says the words Holy Spirit, this is the f- but this is where we begin with where he's talking about a promise of him. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then we jump down to verse 25. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you while I am with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then we jump down to chapter 15 and verse 26. He says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then again in John 16, he talks in verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Hallelujah. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And then there's one more verse. Over in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Amen. Amen to God's word. That is what Jesus told us about the Holy Spirit. Now, If we laid out everything that was said about what the Holy Spirit would do when he comes, it would look something like this. If you want to take a picture, write some notes. This is kind of the outline. 
Of course, he says, I'm sending you another helper. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to teach the disciples all things. The Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance all that Jesus spoke to the disciples. The Holy Spirit bears witness of Jesus. He convicts everyone of sin, everyone of righteousness, everyone of judgment, and he will guide us in all truth. Snap your pictures. Moving on. He will speak and declare to us what he hears from the Father and the Son. He will declare things to come. He will glorify Jesus. He will take what belongs to Christ and declare it to us. And he will give us power. Wow. That is a powerful list of stuff. And so in order for us to understand the impact of these promises made by Jesus, we need to look a little deeper at each one. And so I want to begin with the promise of another helper in John 14, 16. Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He will be with you forever. Now, to, to have context for, you know, what's about to come, we need to see that Jesus is getting ready to tell the disciples down in chapter 16, verse 16. He says, in a little while, you will see me no longer. And again, in a little while, you will see me. So what Jesus is accomplishing here is he is preparing for what is about to come. Jesus knew that they, the disciples, would experience some very deep sorrow when he left them. And so he wanted to bring comfort to their saddened hearts. And he's doing this through the promise of another helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus says another helper, that word another is very significant because the word another means another of the same kind. So what Jesus was saying to us, he says, basically, I'm leaving and I'm sending the Holy Spirit who is of the same kind as me. Everyone say the Holy Spirit Spirit. is the same kind kind. as Jesus. Jesus was preparing his guys. He was telling them the Holy Spirit is coming. He's the same kind as me. And the Holy Spirit is going to assume my ministry on the earth. He's going to take over where I've left off. The Holy Spirit is going to do the exact same thing that Jesus was doing while he was on the earth. And in order... Or in other words, I should say, in other words, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not going to be a second-class helper, right? He's not a knockoff of the original. It's not a Gucci bag that I bought from China for $30. 
No, he's not a knockoff. He's, he's not the runner-up member of the Godhead. He is the same kind as Jesus. He has the same divine essence as Jesus. We are not stuck with a second-place prize. The Holy Spirit is taking on the ministry of Jesus on the earth. Now, the word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit as helper is a word in the Greek called parakletos. Say that one, parakletos. Now, if we were to pronounce this in the Midwestern dialect, we would say parakletos. Parakletos. And if we used it in a sentence, uh, we would say, um, I-, I need to get a parakletos for my boys' football season this year. <laughs> parakletos. So you choose whichever dialect you want to pronounce it in the Greek or the Midwestern. So parakletos is a term that means advocate in the legal sense. It is a person who acts as a spokesperson or a representative of someone else's policies, purposes, or causes, especially before a judge in a court of law. So Jesus is promising us an advocate in the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus was our advocate and is our advocate with the Father. John writes in his first letter, 1 John, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ righteous so Jesus is an advocate with the father Jesus came to be a spokesperson and a representative of the father and the father's policies and the father's purposes and the father's cause Jesus says in John 12 verse 49 he says for I have not spoken on my own authority But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So Jesus is sending us another helper, an advocate, another parakletos, who is the Holy Spirit, and he will be an advocate for the Father and for Jesus. He is coming to take the place of Jesus on the earth, and there's no loss in this exchange. He will put him into practice. He will be establishing the policies that the Father has and the Son has, the purposes and the causes in our lives, the lives of our families, the lives of our city, There's no loss in this transition. Now let's look at verse 17. Jesus said, you know him. 
for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now notice that Jesus said, will be in you. And he's saying that to the disciples at that moment because, for an obvious reason, they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. Jesus had not been crucified. He had not resurrected. For them, he said, this will happen. He will be in you. Now for us, everyone say me. For us today, this is a right now promise. He had to say it to the disciples, he will be in you. For us as believers, he is in us. When we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We get him. And now we are never alone. Everyone say, as a believer, believer, I'm never alone. As a believer, I am never alone. As a believer, I am never alone. Now, imagine, imagine what it would feel like if someone you loved more than your own life told you that they were going away for now and you didn't know when they were coming back. I mean, imagine if your mom or dad said, I'm leaving, I'm going to be gone, and I don't know when I'm coming back. As far as you know, you have no idea if I'm returning, when I'm returning. Imagine if someone you loved and had placed more trust in and felt more seen and more understood than by any other person on the planet. Imagine if that person said, I'm leaving you for now. We won't be having what we've had, but I will return. I'm just not promising you when. That would hurt. The disciples lived with literally the most perfect man to walk on the earth. I mean, we can't even understand this, this relationship and who, who Jesus was in person. They literally lived with the most perfect man on the planet, and now he's leaving them. Now, if there were an opportunity for an orphan spirit to come and wreak havoc on these guys, this is that moment. It would be right now. And Jesus knew this. In fact, he addresses it head on in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know, one of the most devastating thoughts anyone can entertain when they are going through trouble or pain is I am alone. You know, and if we, if we entertain that thought for long enough, 
we will start to develop self-pity and then we will have another thought. No one cares. Now, these are common feelings. Common feelings, but they are unnecessary for us as believers. You know, I can think of some really bad scenarios. Maybe when you're facing sickness of a loved one and the pain involved with that. I can't imagine what Kristen Supinger's family feels. It's real easy to feel like I'm alone. But as believers, we're never alone. You know, in the midst of marital breakdown, incredible pain of a broken heart it's real easy to go I am all alone but we are never alone when we get ghosted and ignored and shunned by our friends our loved ones it's real easy to feel like no one cares no one loves me I'm alone but as a believer, we are never alone. Even when we stand up for, for righteousness and, and everyone around us you know, seems to not care or maybe they're even making fun of us for living for Jesus, for trying to be set apart, to try to live in a way that brings God pleasure and joy. And you're being made fun of, People who could care less, they're pushing your, your, your boundaries all the time. It's easy to feel like, I, no one, serving God, I'm all alone. But for the believer, we are never alone. Even when we don't feel Christ's presence, even when we don't feel it, He is within us through the helper of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, I realize loneliness is a serious problem in our culture today. In fact, you know, if we were to look at the definition, Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary defines loneliness as the state of sadness that comes from feeling alone, isolated, or cut off from others. Everyone experiences loneliness at some time. Even people in the Bible. There were some people in the Bible. As a matter of fact, let's just look at a couple of them. We're going to listen to David and Job and Elijah. Psalm 142 and verse 4. David said, look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me, and no one cares for my soul. That sounds like a depressing moment. He would be a good Facebook poster. I bet none of my friends will reply on this. If you love me, you'll, you'll heart me. 
face. Puke. But see, in this instance, David was feeling lonely because he was experiencing real rejection. Let's look at Job. Chapter 6, verse 14, Job says, A despairing man should have the devotion of his friends, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams. Make that your post, your status. <laughs> my friends are as dependable as intermittent streams. Sad face. Job was feeling loneliness because of his unfaithful friends. He's like, even when I'm going through the worst part of my life and I am not living for God, at least your friends should stick around. And he's got these guys that are like, you're an idiot, dude. You sinned. You're this, you're that, you know. He felt lonely because his friends were being unfaithful. Let's look at Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Elijah's feeling really alone, really scared because he's got Jezebel's anger breathing down his neck. It happens. We experience loneliness. We experience those feelings. And you know, the feelings of loneliness are, sometimes it's easier to describe them than to define them. Loneliness is a feeling of emptiness in the pit of your stomach when someone you love has deserted you and you feel no really that no one cares. You feel unwanted or needed. You may experience loneliness and feel isolated even in the midst of a crowd. And like Elijah, you may even feel like you have nothing to live for. It eats away at your inner person. It saps your strength. It can rob you of hope. You know, even the word loneliness is, it just sounds pitiful. I mean, it, it, that word can really bring up memories of unhappiness, bring up unhappy memories from our past. You know, maybe you were teased about your looks as a child. Maybe you were the only one without a date to the senior prom. Maybe your best friend moved to a different city, or maybe your dad moved out uh, when you were young because of divorce. Everyone struggles with feelings of loneliness at some point in their life. And Jesus knew this would happen to the disciples when he left them. Jesus knows that this can happen to us. That's why he promised the disciples and also to me, say also me, also me. 
Jesus promised the disciples and also us that he would not leave us as orphans. He said, you will get another helper. You will get another advocate who is just like me and he will never leave you. That's the blessing of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes and he will never leave us. Jesus was being such a good shepherd in this moment with his friends. He was being such a good shepherd to the disciples because he's preparing their hearts with the solution to their loneliness problem even before he tells them he's leaving. That's a brilliant strategy that works all the time, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, here's some cool stuff. Here's some really good stuff. And, and you know, da, 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 and then you go, but it, here's the hard stuff. I mean, that's parenting. That's a great strategy right there. Just I got some things to say. Or you, you're going to get to do this and get to do that. And, oh, really awesome. Yeah, because, well, we can't do this. Oh. He's preparing their hearts. He's telling them, listen, I know that there's coming a lonely moment. You guys are going to feel alone. And he tells them, you know, he's preparing their hearts because he's going to say this in John 16, right? Verse 16. Now, notice what Jesus didn't say was the solution to them feeling lonely, to them feeling like orphans. He didn't tell them to, you know, go try and find another buddy. To fill the hole in your heart. No, he, he told them another helper is coming and he will be the comforter that you are looking for. So many times we try to find the answers to loneliness in the arms of a boyfriend or a girlfriend. We try to fill that hole in our heart with food or porn or shopping, social media. Sometimes we try to fill that with our own kids. Sometimes we do it with our own spouse. We refuse to let them out of our sight because I feel so alone when you're not here. That's a problem. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we don't need human relationships. Okay? Because that's the other ditch. That's the other ditch. You know, when God made Adam, God said that it wasn't good for man to be alone. Okay? So don't hear me. You know, this is like all the hermits and the introverts. Like, finally, I don't have to be with people. I just be with God. Tom told us the Holy Spirit's all we need. I'm not saying that. And I am one. <laughs> I love 16 to 20 hours of alone time every year or every day. <laughs> that is my happy place. Now, what I am saying is that if we don't first fix the hole of loneliness with the Holy Spirit, we will never be fulfilled in relationships. Never. This is, I mean, that's why we can stand in a room full of people and still feel lonely. 
We haven't got our need filled by the Holy Spirit at that point. And we're living like an orphan. We are living like orphans when the Holy Spirit is not our first and primary source of connection and relationship. I'm going to say that again. We are living like orphans when the Holy Spirit is not our first and primary source of connection and relationship. Now, I want us to, to look at a prayer that David prays. I want us to just listen to this prayer David prays when he is seeking the Lord, he's seeking the face of the Lord in the midst of some extreme loneliness. He says in 31, Psalm 31, verse 9, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from, excuse me, from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. Now it's important to note this moment David is having. Who's he having it with? He's having it with his God. David was not chasing after another buddy. He wasn't chasing another woman. He wasn't seeking out some inferior pleasure. In this moment of extreme loneliness, he was seeking God to be near him, and to care about him in his lowly situation. It was God who he was looking for. And we know that he found him. He kept finding him over and over. In fact, David, finally, he has this great revelation that we see in Psalm 139. David has this amazing revelation about the nearness of God's Spirit. As he says in verse 7, he goes, Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. It's like, I can't get away from you. I get it. Even though he sometimes tried to run from him. When we feel lonely, this is the first step in healing. We turn to God's Spirit. We turn to the Comforter. Because He is the one who has the healing authority to break the orphan spirit in our lives. He is the answer. He is the solution. Jesus said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending another helper just like me. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about abiding in God's love. Remember that? 
What did I say? The first thing it is that we do. Raise your hand if you even remember. I don't, you don't even have to say it out loud. Just remember. That was so powerful. I'm gonna do, we're going to start over. I'm going to go back to that message. <laughs> Walk in the Spirit. Step one. To abide in the love of God, we walk in the Spirit. So to break loneliness and the orphan spirit in our lives, we have to walk in the Spirit. We have to keep company with the Helper. We have to keep good, close company with the Advocate, with the Spirit of Truth. Amen? Amen. Bill Johnson in his book, Hosting the Presence, talks about encountering the Holy Spirit through affection. And I just, I want to read a small section from his book, and then I'm going to pray for us. So Bill says, the Holy Spirit is such an amazing lover. He is so tender and always near. One of the things I have discovered almost by accident is that whenever I turn my affection towards him, he begins to manifest upon me. Learning how to release the affection, learning how to release affection to him and then recognizing his response is valuable to me beyond words. He comes and he is coming and it is always wonderful. It has been a practice of mine for many years now to go to sleep at night with this simple act. Release my affection for him until I sense his presence rest upon me. Now, because I'm interested in sleep, I don't use this time to sing praises or even even intercede about some great need. I simply love him until my heart is warmed by his presence. If I wake in the middle of the night, I resume and I turn my heart toward him again and go to sleep engaged with him. Then he says, it's important to know how life works. When God created everything, he said there was evening and there was morning one day. This is repeated many times in Genesis chapter 1. The day starts at night. Giving him our nights is the way to start our day. Many would do better in the daytime if they'd learn to give him their nights. For many, the torment that is experienced in the night watches would end by this simple action. Start your day at night by giving him your affection until he warms your heart. Learn to maintain that sense of presence throughout the night, and it will affect your day. I believe today that the Lord wants to break some loneliness off of us. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to come and loose the grip of an orphan spirit off of our lives today.
And some of us here have been running from person to person, relationship to relationship, looking to satisfy that need for connection. Some of us are even running to false comforts to fill that empty pit in our soul that only the Holy Spirit can fill. So today, I want to pray and I want to break the power of loneliness. Amen? Amen. I want to break this feeling like an orphan. Amen? Let's stand. Now, before I start to pray, I want to say that if you are here today and you have never turned your life over to the Lordship of Jesus, you have never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you're here today and you've never done that, that's the first step for you. You must be born again to get this Holy Spirit help that we have been talking about all morning. That is the first step. So I want to pray for you. If you're here and you're like, I need to get saved, I want to I confess that Jesus is Lord, I want to believe in my heart that, he raised, that God raised him from the dead, I believe that he will be my Lord, my Savior, my boss, the guy who tells me what to do in life. If you're here today, I want you to just begin to just confess with your mouth. And everybody here, let's just confess, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. God has raised you from the dead, and we believe that Jesus is Lord. We receive you, Jesus. We accept you. We, we say, God, come and fill us and save us and redeem us today, God. I want to be saved today, God. I want to be a member of your family, and I want the Holy Spirit to come and to fill me now. So just begin to ask for that feeling right now. Everybody in this room, just say, fill me, God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come now, God. Come and fill us. Fill us, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. We want to experience saving power today, God. And if you prayed that, prayer and you made those declarations i want to know about it so please come up to me after service today and i want to talk to you because we have to seal this with baptism we get baptized in water and that is the outward confession we're not going to do it today but that's a part of the process and so if you got saved if you said i got saved or maybe you're just wondering and you got questions come up and see me i want to talk to you about it now, let's deal with loneliness. Let's deal with the orphan spirit. Now, I'm just going to lead us in some declarations, okay? So you just repeat after me. Say, I declare, I declare that Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is, my is my Savior and my Lord. And my Lord. He, promised me he promised me another helper, another helper. The, Holy spirit. the Holy Spirit. I am a child of God. And I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. So I say to loneliness, go in Jesus' name. I break your power. Empty pit in my stomach, go in Jesus' name. Feeling all alone in a crowd, 
go in Jesus' name. Feeling like no one cares? Go in Jesus' name. Feeling like I, no one loves me? Get out in Jesus' name. I declare I am loved. I am loved. I am loved by the Holy Spirit, by the Father, and by the Son. I declare myself to be free from an orphan spirit, from thinking like an orphan, from acting like an orphan, from believing like an orphan. I am not alone. I have the Holy Spirit, and He is my comfort. He is my joy. He is my Savior. He is the one who delivers me. He is doing the work of Jesus in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I gave him some praise. Father, we thank you, God, for the coming of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that Jesus loved us so much that he wanted to make sure our hearts were secure, our hearts were, were good, be okay, God, that we would be fulfilled, that we would have no lack when Jesus left to go sit on his throne at the right hand of the Father, that we would have the Holy Spirit here to break the power of loneliness in our lives, to break that orphan spirit that lies to us and tries to make us independent and isolate ourselves from the world. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you would not leave us as orphans. And we know one day our Savior, our King, is coming back for all of us. But today, we have no lack because we've got all of heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Here's your action plan for this week. I want you to start practicing this. I want you to start your day by encountering the Holy Spirit at bedtime. Encounter Him with affection until His presence comes and rests on you. I will lay in bed after I've shut it all off and I do my, my prayer with my breath. Holy Father, your presence is my reward. And I would just say that over and over. Your presence is my reward. Holy Father, your presence is my reward. Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, fill me. Cover me. I will let those thoughts put me to sleep. Will you do that this week? Will you let those thoughts and those words in your heart be what drift you in to the presence of God and stay there? And when you wake up to go to the bathroom, Holy Father, your presence is my reward. Don't let your brain go to, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that. 
I got to do, forgot that. I got to go here. I need this. Holy Father, your presence is my reward. Holy Spirit, cover me, fill me, and wrap me. Fill my bedroom with your presence. Fill my children's bedrooms with your presence tonight, God. And let that be what puts you to sleep so you can start your day the right way. Will you do that this week? Father, I thank you for today. Thank you, God, that you're going to remind us to be walking in the Spirit, God. All the things of abiding in love, but God, we start with walking in the Spirit. We walk in brokenness and, and humility next, and then we live in transparent witnessing, God. The Holy Spirit, we want to turn our hearts and our affections. We, we welcome you again. You are not second place prize. You are not a knockoff. You are just like Jesus. So today, Father, as we go from this place, we're going to take you with us because you're in us. You never leave us. No matter where we go, if we go to the heavens or we go to hell, it doesn't matter. You are with us. So thank you. We love you, Holy Spirit. And Father, we give you praise for this beautiful gift and as we, for the weeks to come, God, learn more and more about the Holy Spirit and what He does and why He does it, God. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be upon us in this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Amen.